The Many Faces of Mary Book Two, Our Lady Who Cried, Our Lady of Syracuse, Sicily. Bob and I have traveled all over the world, everywhere from the shrines of the Holy Land to the shrines of Europe, Mexico, and Canada. But although we had pilgrimage to Italy many times, we have never visited the land of my ancestors. I think in all of us, there is an unquenchable thirst to visit the land of our ancestors. For me, that is Sicily. My father was born there and came to this country at age three, and my maternal grandparents' roots were also in Sicily. One year, we decided to pack up our daughter and grandson and find Sicily. Needless to say, we fell in love with this island off the coast of Italy. My father had instilled in his children the history of Sicily, and now I was going to be able to walk where he had taken me in the world of my imagination. We took a ferry from Naples to Palermo, Sicily, the province where my family came from, whereas Sicilians from many regions of the little island were quite dark-complected, When we arrived in Palermo, we found the natives mostly blonde and red-haired. Now, my family was mostly blonde and red-haired with blue eyes as well as dark brown. Bob always had insisted my family had come from the northern part of Italy, where the Italians were mainly very fair. But remembering my father's stories of our ancestors, I kept insisting they were for over seven generations from Sicily. When we arrived in Palermo, Bob could finally see with his own eyes what I had been telling him. We visited the old homestead. We went to my paternal grandmother's village, Halatafimi. We walked on the cobblestone roads upon which she rode on a donkey, her blonde head covered with a parasol to shield her delicate skin from the brutal sun. We looked up relatives, but sadly most had migrated to the United States as we were quickly told by the villagers. The townspeople could even spot me as a Johnny-come-lately by the kind of Sicilian I spoke. They advised me I spoke an ancient Sicilian dialect seldom used anymore, and that my ancestors had left Sicily 100 years before. I could see remnants of what had been. In my mind's eye, I could see Garibaldi eating at one of my ancestors' 13-floor meals. I could see my grandfather, only now very young and handsome, attired in his finest suit, asking for my grandmother's hand in marriage. It was all here, and I was in love. Daddy had always said, I was born a hundred years too late, and here I was a hundred years after they had left their beloved island, discovering what he meant. What a peace emanated from the open doors of tiny cliff dwellings accompanying the delicious aromas that were beckoning us inside. There was lots of music. We were blessed to witness feast days being celebrated throughout Sicily, and Calatafimi was no exception. The festas, with their flower-adorned litters carrying a statue of the Blessed Mother or the Sacred Heart of Jesus, or one or the other of the Sicilian saints, were festive, festive to the max. I can still hear the trombones thumping and the villagers marching to the beat. They were honoring their church, and if there was great food being sold by the vendors of the pushcarts, even better. How great can he be? It brought me back to the story my grandmother had told me about my father's miracle. 
When my father was a tiny baby, his parents were told he was dying. And so they and many of their relatives went into the adjoining room and wept, awaiting the inevitable. Just then, a procession passed in front of their home, carrying the statue of Santa Rosalia. The band followed with the trombones blaring, Um Papa, Um Papa. What should cut through the silence of grief but the sound of the baby's voice coming from within the room where he was dying? Um Papa, Um Papa. The baby was singing along with the band. It was the turning point. The baby lived to become one of the greatest fathers the world has ever known. Syracuse, land of Greek theaters and a saint. But for this story, let us travel east to Syracuse. When we arrived in Syracuse, we first ventured over to some of the best-kept Greek and Roman theaters in the world. One of the largest caught our attention, the Roman Amphitheater, dating back to the 3rd century B.C., Little known about Sicily, when a Roman general won a battle and conquered an appreciable bit of land, he was granted a piece of Sicily. This is how the building of amphitheaters came about in the first place. Bob and her grandson wanted to investigate the caves where the Romans kept the animals and the Christians, and where the gladiators awaited doing battle with the wild beasts or the Christian men prisoners. My daughter and I stayed behind reading the guidebook we had purchased. We discovered that the pagans will bring their hopelessly ill to the theater, and after the spectacle of beasts against helpless women, children, and the old, was at a merciful end, they led the sick into the center of the arena and gave them the hearts of Christians killed in the arena to eat, and their blood to drink. I started to weep. Whom had my ancestors been? I thought aloud, were they the Christians who had been killed for their faith or the pagans who, in my estimation, perpetrated a bloodthirsty act? But my daughter, with the wisdom of the young, consoled. Even the pagans had a sense of the power of the Eucharist. In a distorted sense, were they not believing as we believe in the true sense that the body and blood of Jesus can heal the most broken in body and soul? Without knowledge of the God-man, who comes to us in the Eucharist, deep down in the recesses of their hearts, they knew we as Christians possessed that which could save us and somehow believed that through us, them. Land of Caves and Cruelty This ancient island is full of history dating back to the days of the Greeks and the Romans. Venturing back in time to the days of the tyrant Dionysius in 430 to 367 B.C., we find he had hundreds of political prisoners imprisoned in a cave. In order to have an advantage over his enemies, he had a hole burrowed on top of the Temanites' hill down into the cave so that he could hear the prisoners and learn of the strategies of his adversaries. That they suffered intolerable conditions with little or nothing to eat, with barely room to stand, no less sleep, was of no consequence to this monster. The mouth of the cave resembles an ear, thus the name given to it by the painter Michelangelo or Caravaggio, the ear of Dionysius. Our Lady Who Cried We often wonder why Our Lady comes to us, miraculously, and cries. 
When we began our trip to Sicily, we didn't know about Our Lady who cried. We went to Syracuse because we heard of the great Greek and Roman amphitheaters. But you cannot visit Syracuse or Syracuse, as it is known in Italy, without visiting the shrine of Our Lady who cried. Quite honestly, we were more than a little skeptical until we discovered all the invaluable indisputable scientific evidence assuring us it was legitimate. Like Bishop Ettore Baranzini, we have always had reservation when it came to alleged apparitions and purported miracles. Only when Mother Church verifies do we write and make programs. Our story begins in Syracuse on the 29th of August, 1953, five months before Antonina and Angelo Januso were married. Because they were a struggling young couple with Angelo, a poor worker earning the barest minimum wages, they accepted his brother's gracious invitation and moved into his small house on Via degli Orti di e. Giorgio. The day of their marriage, they received a plaster plaque of the Immaculate Heart of Mary as a wedding present. Although they were what we will call lukewarm Catholics, barely doing their church duties by going to church on Sundays, they reverently placed the plaster plaque on the wall above their bed. Soon after they were married, they discovered they were to know the blessing of giving birth to a child. The couple was overjoyed, but typical of the hardworking poor class of Sicily, things were not going to be easy. They discovered Antonina had toxemia. This not only caused her to have excruciating convulsions, the convulsions at times resulted in her suffering bouts of blindness. On the day of the miracle, August 29th, Antonina was blinded due to a seizure resulting from her convulsions. She was totally blind from 3 in the morning until 8.30 that evening when her eyesight was totally restored. She later wrote that she turned to the image of the Immaculate Heart of Mary over her bed to give thanksgiving to Our Lady for her return eyesight. When to her utter astonishment, what did she see but the plaque of Our Lady was crying. She called out to her sister-in-law and aunt who, when she recounted what she had seen, thought she was delusional due to her illness. She said she then insisted they look closely at the image of Our Lady. They reluctantly did as she asked. When they moved closer to the image, they too saw the tears flowing from the eyes of Our Lady and attested to the fact they, as well, saw some tears run down her face onto the headboard of her bed. Needless to say, upon witnessing the image crying, they had mixed feelings, fright mixed with awe and wonderment. They immediately set out to advise the neighbors. They removed the plaque from the wall and carried it outside so the neighbors could see what they had seen. The neighbors could do nothing less than confirm that which they too had seen. The image of Our Lady was shedding tears. As you can imagine, words soon got out. Visitors came from far and near to witness the miraculous phenomena for themselves. People are always looking for the supernatural. Not only the inquisitive came, but a well-respected gentleman in the neighborhood, one Mario Messina came, and after he too noticed the tears spilling from the eyes of the image, 
He removed the plaque from the wall to see if possibly the tears were not coming through the plaster plaque from a hidden reservoir. Upon examining it, he could do nothing but affirm that he could see no evidence disputing the miraculous formation of tears on the plaque. They dried the plaque and tears quickly formed on the dry surface. As the crowds swelled, jamming themselves into the small house to see the image, the authorities, with the Januso's permission, removed the plaque from the wall and hung it on the outer wall of the house to satisfy the curiosity of all those who had heard of the miraculous occurrence. Seeing the numbers increasing rather than lessening and finding it more and more difficult to maintain any semblance of order, the local carabiniere decided to bring the plaque to the local police station. The image continued to weep even as it was being conveyed carefully to the local police station. But once inside the station, 40 minutes had not passed when the image ceased weeping. Consequently, it was restored to its rightful home, the home where the Janusos lived. Now, the people had not moved from outside the little house. So at 2 a.m. on Sunday, August the 30th, the plaque, which had resumed crying, was placed on a pillow for all to see and venerate. Monday, the plaque was pinned to the wall whereupon the people began collecting tears and handkerchiefs, pieces of cotton, and all sorts of bits of cloth. Our Lady, kind and obliging mother that she is, was able to assure her children that in truth a miracle had come about for them. As he was not securely attached to the wall, they decided to bring the plaque to the house across the road and have it placed on an altar fashioned just for this purpose. The crowds continued to come. As they approached the image of Our Lady, they went down on their knees and began praying the rosary. That done, the rosary was finished. The plaque was gently carried back to the Januso home. The investigations began. Hearing of this miracle, three priests called on the Januso family and verified with their own eyes what others had seen. Indeed, the image of the plaque was weeping. One of the priests prudently notified the chancery, whereupon the chancery convened an inquiry committee comprising well-respected priests, four scientists, and three reliable witnesses. Satisfied the mix was well-rounded and balanced, the chancery directed them to go to the Januso home and carefully scrutinize the situation. The delegation arrived at the Januso home the morning of Tuesday, September the 1st. Our Lady once again obliged her children and allowed the image to weep. As the image of Our Lady was weeping, the delegation carefully inspected the plaque. They were not only able to witness the image weeping, they were granted the opportunity to examine the plaque as the tears were cascading down the image's face, filling the cup the image of Our Lady had gently formed with her hand with which she held out her heart to her children. They discovered that although the front of the plaque was wet with tears, the back of the plaque was dry. They carefully gathered a sampling of tears to bring back to the lab for scientific examination. After having allowed the image to undergo this meticulous scrutiny by the team, consenting to their prying and probing, 
Our Lady permitted the tears to continue flowing for another 51 minutes. Then, at 11.40 a.m., as quickly as they had begun, the tears ceased, never to be manifested again. Mother Mary had done her job, and now it was up to her children how they would use these extraordinarily miraculous circumstances. For five days, the supernatural was manifested in this ancient place, with its pre-Christ roots and ancestry still evident in the monuments to the courage and faithfulness of the early Christians, the great Greek and Roman amphitheaters. The marvelous thing about life is how God works. He creates mankind and gives them great reasoning powers and intellect, yet often they set out to use those gifts against his children and their faith. We have a saying in the ministry, Science sets out to disprove miracles and only results in approving them. The team of scientists went about carefully gathering approximately 20 drops of liquid in a slender, sterilized tube and poured the liquid into an equally sterile vial. Thereupon, the vial was taken to a lab to be scrutinized thoroughly by chemists and physicians. They took the sampling of tears and tested them against tears of an adult and that of a child. They found the tears of Our Lady's image to contain the same liquid composition as found in the human tears tested. Their conclusion, the liquid brought from the plaque in the Janusa home was like that of the tears of a human being. The tests were concluded on September 9, 1953, and the findings were verified by the following doctors, Michele Casola, Francesco Cozzie, Leopoldo La Rosa, and Mario Marietta. This was what the church needed. As we know, the church will send the most scrupulous devil's advocates to dispute, if necessary, any questionable characteristics of an alleged miracle. Using men of science as well as the hierarchy, when the findings prove beyond a shadow of a doubt the veracity of the miraculous occurrence, then Mother Church was free to act, and act she did. The Archbishop of Syracuse paid a visit to the Janusa home and inspected the plaque and, saying nothing, returned the following day to pray the rosary, along with the throng that had congregated. His approval was joined by the many other bishops who had visited the Janusa home and witnessed the flowing of the tears. Then Cardinal Ernesto Ruffini made the following statement on a radio broadcast December 13th. After carefully sifting of the numerous reports, after having noted the positive results of the diligent chemical analysis under which the tears gathered were examined, we have unanimously announced the judgment that the reality of the facts cannot be put in doubt. That not enough, on October 17, 1954, His Holiness Pope Pius XII further affirmed the miraculous tears with the following declaration on national radio. We acknowledge the unanimous declaration of the Episcopal Conference held in Sicily on the reality of that event. Will men understand the mysterious language of those tears? Miracles began to happen. Countless miracles began to occur and were reported to church authorities. Of 290 reported miracles, or 
as the scientific team investigating said extraordinary cures, they reported conservatively that 105 showed special interest. The first miraculous cure reported was by the one who first saw the image of Our Lady crying, Antonina Januso. If you recall, she had a severe toxemia at the time of the shedding of tears by the image of Our Lady on the plaque. Pregnant at the time, there had been little hope she would be able to bring a healthy baby into the world. On December 25th, the anniversary of the birth of Our Lady's son, Jesus, Antonina gave birth to a healthy, robust son. To compound her joy, her son was baptized by Archbishop Barancini, the bishop who had originally had reservations about the image crying. The news spread throughout the world, and with the responses of miraculous cures coming about through the intercession of Our Lady who cried, who was not confining her advocacy to just those of Syracuse, but to her children around the world. Was this message just for the people of Syracuse? Evidently not, or the news would not have spread to the four corners of the world. Was this message just for that time? Again, I think not. If ever our dear mother had a need to reach her children, it is now. Our Lady wept. Just eight years before she manifested her tears, the world had gone through the worst holocaust, the ruthless annihilation of men, women, and children just because of what they believed. Today, we face another holocaust, now with the baby's mothers as the executioners. We learned about Our Lady who cried almost 25 years ago. Why now? Why are we writing about Our Lady who cried? What is she trying to tell us? Because we closed our eyes, a monster almost conquered the world. Please pray that another monster does not conquer the world. Pray that mothers will cease listening to the secularistic gods who encourage them to kill their unborn babies. A baby was born to a mother who was rewarded for her faith that she would have a healthy baby against all odds. And God not only blessed her by having her be the first to see the miracle of Our Lady crying, He ordained, because of her faith, that she will give birth to a healthy, bouncing baby boy on Christmas Day, the anniversary of the very day the baby Jesus was born. Once the church had approved the miracle of the plaster plaque that shed tears, it was as if the gates of heaven opened up on the little shrine. Originally, everyone went to the Januso home to pray the rosary and venerate Our Lady there. But it got to be too much. There were too many people. News of miracles upon miracles spread. Donations came pouring in, and a huge, beautiful sanctuary was built in the town of Siracusa, near the house where the Lady cried. We had heard about the miracle when we first went to Sicily in 1980 and it was definitely on our schedule to visit, but we had no idea how huge the devotion to Our Lady in this place had become. As we entered the shrine, what we saw before us was what appeared to be a church shaped like an amphitheater. Reminding us of the ancient Roman amphitheaters, the seats faced the semicircular altar where the ongoing sacrifice of the cross would take place. The walls of the upper area were filled with ex-votos, describing miracles, 
which had taken place. Predominant were the crutches which lined the walls, all signs left by those who had been given miraculous healings at the shrine. They were joined by walls of silver hearts, in addition to those ex votos fashioned in silver, in the form of parts of the body, which is how the people will give thanks for healings of the arms or legs or other specific parts of the body. The walls were literally covered by them. The sanctuary is so overpoweringly huge, it's almost impossible to find the little plaque. But there it is, just as Mother Mary would have it, near her son on the altar. It's very small, above the main altar. It's almost as if she is saying, He must increase while I must decrease. But because this is sort of a local miracle, there is no problem getting as close as you can to the plaque of Our Lady who cried. We were able to go to the wall in back of the altar where the priests sit and get a good view of the plaque. Along with Pope Pius XII, who upon beholding the image of Our Lady who cried, said, Will men understand the mysterious language of these tears? Pope John Paul II, when he came to the sanctuary of Our Lady of Syracuse in November 1994 as a pilgrim, spoke tenderly and at great length about the tears of Mary. His visit gave further credibility to the authenticity of the miraculous image of Our Lady. Something that is very interesting is that although Fatima and Lourdes had to wait years before the ecclesiastic authorities of the church made a pronouncement of their authenticity, in scarcely three months this image of Our Lady who cried was approved. Please load our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Here is how to download our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Simply with your iPhone or Android device, go to the App Store, search for Bob and Penny Lord app, and download it. It's that simple. Here's what you can do with our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Number one, the, there's a link to our marketplaces, our websites, uh, our uh, blog, and this podcast. The second link is to our Bob and Penny Lord TV channel where you can access all of our videos as seen on EWTN, plus a whole lot more. Thank you very much.